Welcome to episode 16 of The Things That Drive Us, and today I'm talking to Will Shakespeare of Shakespeare's Glass. Will is based down in Somerset and manages to carry off with great aplomb having the name Will Shakespeare by producing some excellent glass, which I've been an admirer of for a number of years. We talk about his glass bearing practice today and the influence and or not of current cultural trends and how you work out to what extent those are influencing you or not and also the value of art and how you determine that value and Will's view on that. It's all very interesting. Um, if you're the curator of the VNA Glass Gallery, then you're up for some criticism. But otherwise, I very much hope you enjoy this conversation with Will Shakespeare. So welcome to The Things That Drive Us. Today I'm with Will Shakespeare of Shakespeare Glass. And, and how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. And you? Yes, I'm very well, thank you. So I've been following your glass um, blowing for quite some time, and I'm a big fan. I'm a fan of glass <laughs> gen generally. Yeah, good. Um, my grandfather um, ran a glass factory, Stuart Crystal. Um, oh, did he? That's quite interesting. Yeah, he was the last of the family to run it before it was sold to Waterfords. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. So have you got? Have you inherited a lot of Stuart Crystal then? Yes, I've got quite a lot hanging around. Um, <laughs> but when he retired, he sort of took up interest in um, sort of more avant-garde and um, art glass and used to present um, prizes for that. And he always used to show me the, the pictures of the things he was... Oh, really? Yeah. So, so, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, so, send them over. I'd love to see them. Yeah, I'll see if I can find any. Um, yeah. But um, how long have you been into glass blowing then? Well, I, I went to college in my, you know, very, very late teens to do a ceramic degree and they had a glass support study. So um, I very quickly became enamoured by glass mm. to the detriment of ceramics. Yeah. Um, and, and it all flew from there, presumably. Well, flew. was hopped along for a while, I think. Stuttered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And and a lot of the glass I see you producing on your Instagram feed anyway is blown yeah. glass. But do you do other types of glass making as well? No, I generally now only blow glass. I used to hot cast certain ranges, but nowadays, um, you know, getting close to my dotage, I, I stick to blowing. Um, it's it's quite physical, so so I hate being outside you know doing things that you can't physically do because mm. you um because your strength's waning is it, it's rather depressing so i i tend to avoid those things really. okay but um so what is it about glass blowing in particular that sort of attracts you and <laughs> that floats my boat yeah um it's basically it's 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 God, you know, you've only got an hour, and this is the first few minutes, and you've asked me one of those questions that could take you me hours to answer already. Well, you go for it. Um, it's if if you if anyone's ever blown glass out there, oh. it's the most frustrating material to use. It's it's very spontaneous. You don't get any chance to sort of think about it as you're as you're doing it. So. I quite like that. I quite like the fact you've got to sort of marry all these different aspects and all these different variables on the hoof, as it were, to produce anything. And and someone came in the other day and, and they there was a mother and daughter and the, the daughter asked me what was my favourite piece to make. Mm -hmm. And I sort of 
rather sarcastically replied that, that I didn't have one because that would that would ruin my ethos. And 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 she got a little bit sort of angsty about my reply, and the mother went, "I get it completely." Because mm. if if you, with with glass playing, I'm still trying to make a good piece of glass. Yeah, I sometimes do by accident, but you know. It, it, it's not a given when I pick up a blowing iron that the bit of glass I make is going to be as I want it to be. There'll always be something I could improve because that's the very nature of the human race and making things by hand. Yes. And if you stop wanting to improve things, the the, the difference would be starting to want to make things as you used to make them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's all well and good over a short space of time. But in 20 years' time, when I'm still trying to make things I used to make when I was 40, hmm. it's look a bit sad. Yes, I can imagine. So so I quite like that. And glass lends itself to that. You know, you, you in general terms, you either make and finish it or it goes on the floor in the bucket. You know, there's very, very, in my in my world, there's very few bits of glass that you could make and then revisit and, and make it a bit beta, bit better. You can't scratch, you know, like with a painting, you can scratch it back and change a bit of it. Yeah. You can't, you can't with glass. It, it, you have to start again. And yeah, then, all, uh, yeah. And then, then a whole more things go wrong. <laughs> yes. And, and um, I mean, I, I've only tried doing glass a couple of times. And I, have you? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I experienced that exactly, but I've done pottery a bit more and that has um yeah the, the um the the same issue doesn't it that it, it, it does it's kind of all all or nothing basically poetry's a bit slower you can stop and, yeah. and mentally work out and physically work out how to do the next bit or go and get another tool you know go go and you know, metaphorically you know have a cup of coffee and a fag and think yes, about that's true where yeah. with glass blowing you, you don't have that luxury you've got to carry on doing something Hmm. Even if it's just keeping it on centre and keeping it warm, you've got to carry on doing something. There's a, there's the, the time restrictions are much greater with glass playing. Yeah, I can imagine. So, I mean, I've often wondered about this because, you know, people produce these, and, and you produce these sort of spectacularly colourful, wonderful pieces of glass. Hmm. How much of that is sort of pre-planned beforehand? Or how, <laughs> how much of that is sort of you... Um, uh, rolling with the punches. Oh, as well. oh, Will, you've fallen into an age-old trap here. Here we yeah. go. Right? <laughs> okay. So, first of all, for me, so mm. everything I say is, is for me, ha- happy accidents are a nightmare because you don't know how you did them. Yes. Not reproduce yes, yes. them. So, so when you're blowing a bit of glass, there's certain things you have to do. You have to have paid the gas bill so, so your furnace is hot. You have to have filled the furnace with glass. You have to have the blowing irons. You have to have all the colours that you've bought. You, there's a whole host of stuff you have to do. The, a good analogy is cooking. Yeah. If you were going to cook tomorrow night, you'd have to know how many people you're going to cook for. Yeah. You have to have the right pots and pans. You have to buy the right ingredients. You'd have to pay the gas or electric so your cooker worked. But within that, within that sort of overarching situation, let's mm. say you cook a chilli. Yeah. You, you could tomorrow say, oh, no, I, fa- I quite fancy a spicy one. Mm. Or I quite fancy a bland one. Or, you know, I'm going to do brown rice rather than white rice. Yeah. There, there are things you can change. As you get nearer the finished meal, the, the, the decisions that you make become, become narrower. Mm. Um, but 
for me, when I'm blowing a bit of glass, you obviously have to have to have an aim in mind. There's no good just getting some glass out of furnace and then going, oh, what shall I make? Yes. Yeah. You won't have any of the colours ready mm. or tools ready or or the thought process ready. And it will tend to be a bit of a dog's dinner. Yeah. Which might be the same with your chilli if you haven't thought about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so you, you do the most of within, within as you as you make things more and more, um, the 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 restrictions get tighter. Maybe so. I have one range where I where I make a, a, a wide open vase or a closed vase, and, mm. and the closed vase are slightly slightly more problematical to make than the, the open vase. There's less, there's less tolerance. Yes. So if they've gone slightly wrong, I'll make an open vase as against a closed vase and then start again. Mm. So that does that answer your question? It Simon? does, yeah. So when you're sort of producing a range then, yeah. um, do you sort of work out whether the um, colour ranges are going to be sort of within that range? or, or... Yes, yes, you do. You, you sort of... So... so... First of all, I'm a, I'm a commercial glass player, so this is what pays my mortgage and feeds the dog and, and all those different things that you have to do. So so there's no good me going, oh, I really like purple and orange. I'm only going to make purple and orange things. Mm. Um, is that what you mean? So you have to, yeah, you have to get the colours right, but you have to you have to plan what the colours are going to be. But within within that scope, you're also I'm also able to try out new colours. So I, I quite like having a lot of colour mm. to to play with so i do one range called coast which is which started up being based in on tresco uh -huh. and sanding on tresco you know if you look down your feet you see grass then you see sand then you see sea then you see the opposite going back up to sky uh -huh. so you've got this lovely color banding of turquoises and blues and greens and, and, and yeah um there's a beach down on the south coast called near a place called sheldon where the, where the sand is dark red uh -huh. And I walked onto this beach one day in a dimpsy sky, you know, when the sky is very dark and there was, you know, thunderstorms looming and the tide was coming in so that, and there was a bit of a wind. So as the, as the waves, the little waves broke on the shore, there was a white line and all the cars were amazingly stark and bright. Mm. So the coast range with its blues and, and, and turquoise has changed very quickly to dark reds and blacks and whites. Yeah, it's the same thought process or concept, um, but with a different facet. Same as yeah. you, you know, you I, I I live and work on the levels. So you walk on the levels and see a field, a reen, rushes or reeds. You know, you, you all the different color banding. So when you when you've got an idea uh, in your head about something, you you can see references to it in a lot of different places. Yes, I see. So. Um, so you know, I, 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 that's what I do. That that sort of you know drives drives my friends berserk. That, that if we're walking somewhere, I'll stop to take a picture of something that looks completely inane, but it's got a different colour range that, that I can see in it. So, well, I I know exactly what you mean, and I do exactly the same thing. Sort of, why are you taking a picture of that wall? It's just a wall because <laughs> it's, it's got some interesting colours in it that I think I'm going to look at later. Yeah, well, that well that's what that's what I do. I have, I have more pictures of rocks and pebbles than my children probably, which is yeah. Not really <laughs> don't i hope they're not listening to that but they don't know anyway so there we go um i mean digital photography is just amazing it's, it's it, it gives you the option to take photographs much more and and filter them later on you know post filter what you're looking at yeah so that's good
Yeah. So, so one of the things I've often wondered about sort of glass blowing in particular, I mean, it sort of goes back to what you're saying about you can't just, um, you know, sit down and go, oh, I'm just going to do something and not really plan it, but, which of course yeah. you can do with painting and particularly sketching. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, how do you sort of generate your ideas beforehand? Do you have a sort of sketching practice or, or how does that work? Uh, well, um, I'm, I'm dreadful at drawing, so I tend to use yeah. photographs and I tend to use um, words to... Yeah. So if I can go back to the coast range, I, I you know, I, I could explain to you where all my ranges come from. I could, I could bore you out of your mind with, with where they all come from. But the coast range, um, I was on Tresco. And uh -huh. I had to do, I had to do a range for an exhibition on Tresco, and I got stuck on Tresco because the fog came down, so that so the planes couldn't fly out. Hmm. And then in, in the end, for, for without cutting cutting a long story short, I had a very short space of time to come up with these this range. Hmm. And so I spent all week working within the concepts of the colours that I'd seen and laying them out in different ways and making all these different pieces, uh, and which was very rare for me to spend a week without making the same piece, you know, just trying all these different colourways and, and seeing what was happening. And it was like sketching in glass. Yes. Uh, so you can do that. Other times, um, ranges or ideas come almost into your head fully formed. Mm, yes, I know that feeling. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you sort of go, oh, I know exactly what to do now. Mm. Um, and then you go in the workshop, you can just pick the colours off the shelf and, and with to, you know, to a great extent, make very close to your mind's eye. Mm. Um, other times you make something that will sit on the shelf for quite a considerable amount of time before you know what to do with that bit of the idea. Yes. Or sometimes you never know what to do with it. And you look at this, I'm looking at a bit of glass at home at the moment that I really, really like the idea and I really like what I made. Didn't sell. So that's another reason not to make it. Mm. The reason it didn't sell is it wasn't good enough. It, well, yes. it didn't have an X factor or whatever. Yeah. But it, it sits there. It hasn't been binned. At some point, I might see something else that, that fits with that. So recently I did an exhibition on the Quantox, and one of the ranges was called Bracken. Hmm. And I, was, I wasn't... When I made it, I, was, I, I wasn't sure. Because hmm. when you make everything, you make everything, and it, you put it away in a kiln overnight. Yeah. So you can spend the whole day going down cul-de-sacs and, and the first piece was the best piece and everything else is just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and you, you can't really tell. Mm. And th this range looked, I thought it was pretty average to say the least. Yeah. When I took it out of the kiln after the weekend, I loved it. I thought, I thought it, was, it absolutely summed up what I was trying to do and mm. I just got lucky. Now, that range is all in greens. And the other day I was looking at it thinking, no, it just looks like... When I went through all my photographs and found the photograph I was thinking of, which was of some waves breaking around some rocks. And I thought, well, do you know what? I could, that, that would work in blues as well, because you know, it's a different thought process to why it was. So I did some in blues, and I'm not very pleased with them at all. They look okay, but they're not what I want. Mm. But sometimes it doesn't, you know, you, you go down paths that don't work. And and do you find that you can tell what's going to be popular with your sort of client base <laughs> beforehand, or or do you find that you know, I mean, because oh whilst... hang on, my my Ferrari alarm's just been going off. If I knew that, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, um, you... I know what you're saying. Uh, yeah. um, do you know sometimes you get it horribly wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
sometimes you go, wow, I've, I've just I've just designed a winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in worst case scenario, you spend all week making them, thinking that no one will be able to resist them, and they they're still on your shelves years later. Yes. Uh, um, the the the, we're, and we're all the general public. We're all fickle beings. That's true. And we all, and we all have incredibly different tastes on things. There there are some truisms. Mm. Um, uh, uh, years ago, I sold a lot of glass to Liberties, and there was a, there was a, an amazing buyer from Liberties who who was one of the, the the best buyers and sellers I've ever come across. And he bought these this range of me, you know, um, in, and it was in lots of different colours. And one day, I saw an advert in in one of the big magazines with this bit of glass in through Liberties, and the price was extortionate on it. Mm. And it was a yellow vase, and I phoned him up, and he said, "Look, well." People who like yellow like it to be more expensive than people who like blue. And people who like blue like it to be cheaper than people, people who like yellow, right? That's really interesting. Unfortunately, it's true. Um, and so you don't make as many yellow vases as blue vases, obviously, because there's more people who like the blue vases than the yellow vases. But it's, it's a truism. If, if, you know, it's, not, it's not quite as blatant as that, but mm. the Things that are uncommon, people will pay more for, but there's less people will pay for them. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and it's once once you've thought about it, it, it's quite difficult to unthink that. Yeah. But then, but then there's other things you can do. So, so let's say you're going to a wedding this year, and you don't know them wonderfully well, so you don't know their taste wonderfully well. So buying a multicolored thing might be a good option because it will go into the house somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a. Yeah, as a glassblower mate said to me years ago, you know, when someone couldn't decide what to buy, he said, well, if you don't want to go to the christening, buy them towels. <laughs> you know? And unfortunately, they didn't buy anything because they, they didn't quite know what to say <laughs> at that point. Was, you mean, know, I, go on, yeah. sorry. But it's the sort of, I mean, it's kind of the hierarchy of any art practice, isn't it? You have your, your high-volume items and then your very expensive yeah. um, elite items. And very, and very expensive it isn't isn't a cash value. It's mm. a it's a value related to the product. Yeah, you know, so very expensive baubles are not as expensive as the cheapest perfume bottle. Yeah, um, it, it's it's people's perceptions. I mean, I, I I'm still very honoured and humbled that people buy my glass. I find it. I, I sometimes I question them and ask them what on earth they're doing. You know, because they could go out and have. 10 pints of cider for the price of, of whatever they're doing yeah uh, but they do and it's about pleasure it's about it's about it's about how much you enjoy something well that's true um and glass has a sort of particular appeal doesn't it it has this sort of uh, yeah. internal glow that's um it's very, very emotive isn't it to people yeah yeah uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and i and i you see, I, I suppose that you know familiarity breeds contempt, doesn't it? To some extent, I, I'm still in awe of the material, mm. but I look at it through a very jaundiced eye, or not as jaundiced is quite is not quite the right word, cynical eye. I'm, I I always look at something until I find what's wrong with it, so I can make the next one better. Um, it's yeah, not but that's what I do. So, uh, but do you have the other temptation as well, which? I sometimes find with my painting practice is you produce yeah. something that you're particularly happy with and then you you hit the particular gold mine of producing something both that you're happy with and that seems to sell well 
and then you sort of try and replicate that formula. Um, well, I'm probably a bit older than you, and I realise that ain't going to work anymore. No, well, that, that's exactly what I've realised. It's never, never the same again, is it? And don't want it to be, because then you're trying to replicate something. And I think yeah. that's that for me is the that 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 for me is is, is the I can't remember what the right word for it is, but that's the danger zone. Mm. If you fall into trying to make it how it used to be, yeah, um, I, I'm not sure that's a good thing to do because. That means you've stopped trying to make the next thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. there's lot, there's lots of cliches. People say, "What's your favourite thing?" What's well, the last one on a Friday afternoon? You know, what's what's your, you know, or it's the thing that sells. Yes, because it, it's a temptation I've I've encountered previously, but then I abandoned it very quickly when I realised well, two things: it's no nowhere near as fun or as rewarding to try and produce what you did before there's always quite this feeling of it's not quite working and, yeah and that somehow comes across to your customer base i think as well because people are never quite as interested as they were before <laughs> there's, a, there's a really strange thing that you know i can remember when I, I had a shop in taunton for a while where i could see what people were looking at mm. where i can in langport mm. and and a, some customers came in i'd never seen them before they, and they and asked when we discussed this they'd never been in the shop before and they bought the newest thing I just made, mm. as if it had some sort of extra draw on it. Mm. Um, and, and I can't what your question was now. I sort of got too involved in my answer there. But it, it's it's like uh, it's about the passion. It, it, what when you're excited about something and you're passionate about it, it shows. It does, doesn't it? And it's it's really hard to understand why or how or or any of the, the, the physical properties that that go to that thing. But I mean, I'm a firm believer in, in that you should make things that you're passionate about. It's not always possible, but but therefore what you should do is be passionate about everything you make. Yes. Um, so, that, so, so at some point, the passion has to go into it, either by trying to make everything as best as you can do, you know, that's your ethos. Yeah. But then also, sometimes you make things that you are passionate about, that actually, mm. they're, you know, that the, the, all the things align, don't they? The, the, the clouds align or whatever the word for it is. And, and you're making something and you go, oh, now I get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it Unfortunately, just... it's very fleeting. <laughs> it's like gone. Well, that's true. I mean... One of the things I encountered, though, is sometimes I'm doing a painting and, and the end result I'm really happy with. I feel like the clouds have all aligned and uh, or, or whatever yeah. the expression is. And it, 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 I look at it and I'm really happy with it. But in fact, what I found quite often with um, people who buy my work and people who look at my work is that they're, those pieces are very rarely their favourites. They're often more interested in the pieces that I'm slightly dissatisfied with that I haven't quite reached what I was looking trying to reach for. Yeah. There there is that, that conundrum, isn't there? I mean I, yeah. I I sort of like um so so I've got sadly various I've come to various answers that I can trot out of, about mm. those things. So first of all, what your ideal is is in your mind's eye. Yes. And and we all we all fall in love with different people. You know, we we have different ideas of perfection. Yeah, 
and and we have different ideas of flaws so obviously making things by hand or painting or whatever you do it, it means that that the the attractive bit about it is the flaw yeah it's, because otherwise you just go to ikea or john lewis and buy machine made shite yeah um so people are attracted to to the handmade as if you if you if you cross out handmade and put floor in mm. then when people people are attracted to things they're attracted to the thing that the floor doesn't bother them yes whereas it might bother you that's you, true the you know, floor so, isn't a, 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 the floor is in fact appealing to them yeah well that's why they're buying it that's what gives the piece the soul mm. or the handmade bit i mean people very often say handmade stuff has soul it has well, what do you mean by soul? You mean the floor, because it isn't perfect. <laughs> that's sort of what you mean. Yeah, the individuality uh, to it. Yeah, it, 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 it's unique. It's 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 got it's got it's become something. So, it, one thing that I do, you know, when I make things, that there's, there's generally not always, but generally a very distinct point in time where the range becomes a thing. So, so let's say I'm in my range. So let's say I'm making hedgerow, and I'm, I think I've come up with it. I think I think I'm happy with the range. I think you know it's working well. Then suddenly it becomes a thing. It becomes its own thing. Mm. Uh, it's, that's quite difficult to explain. But you know, you're making a way, and, and suddenly you realise you've achieved a result. You've achieved a body of work that that now has a a name. Yeah, uh, and that that to me is very odd. You know, I find that very peculiar because I can never, um, you know, pre-guess it. I can never, what will happen in the you know, next day or two when I carry on making them. It doesn't happen like that. It's just suddenly you make a piece and you go, oh, that's a, a hedgerow. Yeah. That's now, I, I now, I, I can move on to almost a second stage of design, which is now there's, it's ring, ring fence, what I'm making Mm-hmm. And now it's just the tweaking. It's now it's just you know, I can I can do anything else with it, but I but I've ring fenced what it really is. That's nice. all this is very deep. I didn't expect this podcast to be so deep, Will. <laughs> well it often gets you... Well it often gets quite deep because people it's my experience that people think quite deeply and quite passionately about the, the things that they produce and they often have very interesting ideas. They're quite hard to um express in many ways. I quite like to say quite often. This isn't one of those one of those occasions. <laughs> I think that um, I found it very interesting because you know your, your podcast called "What What Drives Us." Yeah, and I found and, and initially I thought, "What a what a you know, naff question," hmm. until I thought about it and went, "Oh, right, okay." And I can't. And interestingly, the answer is, is a very very um, mundane one. Hmm. Um, it's routine. Okay. It's, uh, because actually what drives me is that's what I do. Mm. That's the overarching answer it is what drives me, that's what I do. Yeah. Um, is is the easy, easiest answer to explain all those little facets of glass blowing that, that make up what you do. You know, and that, that I can sadly get involved in the, in the minutiae of it if I want to. Mm. But it's it's that routine. That's and I found that a very interesting answer because, it you know obviously you know, I'm I'm getting to the end of my career. I, it 
what drives me is not to make the best bit of glass I possibly can because I sort of presume I might have done that already without knowing. Yes. <laughs> well, that's the other interesting thing. How do you know when you've reached the peak? I mean, you can't. Only other people can really work that out in probably in retrospect, right? Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think, I think um, if you go to the V&A Museum, they've got this amazing glass section. Mm. I've been there many uh, times. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and outside the glass section has grown over the times I've been going there to to now have all this art glass in it. Yeah. And these fabulously big bits of glass that are art glass. Yeah. And they really upset me because someone has, has someone who's made them and who's bought that has designated them as art glass and designates them as, as superior to all this other glass that, that is around. And then you go through the doors into that section where they've got glass through the ages mm. and that's achieved art. You know, it's become art because it's so good. Yes, that's very interesting. That's a very you know, interesting point. Actually. And and that's the bits I love. I, I love the fact that actually that uh, and that's got some of my favourite glass that I've ever seen in it and um it's achieved greatness because it is so amazingly good. Yeah. Whereas the glass outside it is trying to be amazingly good. Yes. I, I get a bit lost in my explanation because some people who try and make amazingly good glass make amazingly good glass. Mm. But I don't think I'm, I'm a bit nervous about achieving greatness. You know, you, you can't just go, it's great. You, it's, it's got, it's got to be a sort of, achieved it's it's got to have enough people go wow that's yeah great. and i suppose that's the sort of the, the sort of classic um confrontation between sort of present day hype and then yeah um something that's a, achieved a, a lasting fame or legacy because it's just so good people yeah. over the ages have fallen in love with it yeah i i i think i think you've used exactly the right word about the present day hype seems to transcend how how good something really is yeah. hype, hype depends on you know how much you how much money you've got to to hype it yeah um and you know i find it i i sort of if i'm going to be it'll come across arrogant it's not meant to be arrogant at all it's sort of like i don't want to be hyped i'd like people to want my glass because it they get more pleasure out of my glass than buying a ikea goblet or whatever it is hmm. um, i don't i don't like i don't like this modern world where people go oh no so-and-so's glass is fantastic and you go is it and they go well oh, everyone says it is well who's everyone well that's true and unless you're very lucky the, the, the problem is that kind of fame can be very transitory yeah, I think I think so, and I I, I know people who you know have achieved that kind of fame, and it is very transitory. And I I still think it's amazing. I'm blowing glass after all these years, you know, and I have I've lost lots of customers because I've obviously changed what I do. That's the way it should be, and I've gained other ones. Yeah, uh, and uh, hopefully people, you see, the well, one thing about art and craft is that to the, to a great extent. People don't have to buy your paintings. They don't have to buy my glass. It's a, it's a free choice. Yes, exactly. Yes, um, and that means that you live off your wits, which mm. is never easy, and and involves an awful lot of compromise. But I always think when someone buys a bit of glass off me, they don't have to do that. They could go and buy. I mean, 
almost anything else. Yeah. But they, they've chosen to buy this bit of glass I've I've made. I, I find that quite humbling and quite you know, quite an honour. It's something it's not to be held lightly, you know. Yes, that's true. And then of course the other thing that's part of your practice I notice is that you um you sort of teach your um, glass blowing as well, don't you? Have these um Oh yeah. These, I do. These... Teach is a strong word. I harangue people for an afternoon about how rubbish they are. Um I I, I'm have a, I, I'm mm, right. Teaching glass blowing, it, it, glass blowing is a muscle memory thing. It's a practice thing. Yeah. Um, so you can't teach someone to blow glass in an afternoon or a day or even a week. In reality, you can teach them all the moves and you and you can show them how it all works. But to actually do it, you've got to practice. You've got to do it again and again and again and again. Yeah. And to and to learn to do something, you've got to fail. You yes. only. Failures, and of course, when people come along for an afternoon, they don't want to spend the whole afternoon failing. They want to, they want to at least make something. Yeah. Uh, so, teaching is is a bit of a double edged sword. Um, what what we now did, we I realised that actually that some people do like coming along and, and having a go and having a fight with this material and and, and mm. seeing and really getting a hands on. Oh, this is how it works, mm. and those people are great. And we have a we have a great afternoon. It's just nonstop laughter and and tears and not not tears, real tears. Yes. <laughs> like you know, um, and they're inordinately happy with their lump of, of of you know stuff that really should be buried for posterity. Mm. Um, and but it's great. And then we also do evenings now where you know 10 people come along and, and we give them cider and nibbles and you can ask me all those silly questions you can get right up close and personal with a bit of glass and i blow it you know you know i don't aim to keep anything i'm making because it'll have gone wrong because i'll stop and explain to someone what i'm doing yes and they're called hot and bothered which i think sums it up quite nicely and, and they're quite a nice e- e- evening to come to because you can sort of you can get right up close and ask ask those questions i mean a lot of people are very very nervous about asking questions they perceive are are obvious or silly or stupid yeah and of course, no question stupid if you don't know the answer you need to know the answer you know well, that's true i mean and also if i was to come to an event like this despite <laughs> um, go on dare you <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, despite you know having a family um legacy with glass i, I know next to nothing about how it's produced yeah you know, I I could well see like I, I don't actually know what is that thing you're holding that you're twiddling with, um, yeah, and, and all those kind of questions. But um... and, and, and those are the questions that that actually you should be allowed to ask. And I think we, as we grow older, we we get too nervous to ask those those really obvious questions because we we worry about what yeah. the answer might be. Yes. Uh, and, yeah. and we all do it, and, and 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 we all do it in different situations. And you've got to sort of almost put yourself back into being the child and going, "Why is the sky blue? You know, why is yeah. thing? Um So, teaching is is an odd one. It's sort of like I I get very nervous when I see lots of classes that you know that, that sort of say they're teaching someone to glass blow because it's 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 practice, you know. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Um, and I I think the other thing that attracts me about glass blowing and glass blowing studios and i think this is mainly what i miss about my painting practice which you can get in a certain respect but 
Painting's a very solitary activity, whereas yeah. glass blowing can be, or at least from my limited knowledge, quite collaborative in that you can have other people you're yeah. working with or at least occupying the space with. Yeah, you can do. I mean, most glass blowers work with one assistant. I, I work a lot on my own now. Mm. Um, because I quite I quite like doing that. I have I have one assistant at the moment who's who's just starting off her assistanting. Oh. Um, a lot of my designs I've designed so I can make them on my own. Yeah, and you just make a different tool to help you. Mm. Um, but I I tend to the I tend to see what I do as solitary. Right. I know what you're saying. It's not quite solitary, is it? It's just personal space. Yes, and and also, I, one thing I find very difficult is that some days it's not every day. I can't talk to anyone because I'm I'm concentrating and I haven't got the ability to 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 talk to them and concentrate. Yes, other days I can. Yeah, um, and it it really depends on what stage of the process you're at or what you're trying to do. And I can see that with painting. Is some days, you know, even if someone says, "Can I ask you a question?" I, I sometimes feel like going. You know, just putting the bit of glass on the floor in the bucket, going, "Yes, you can." <laughs> you know, um, can I watch you blow glass? Not while you're talking to me, because <laughs> it's just gone in the bucket. And I can see that with painting. You know, someone can interrupt your train of thought at just the wrong moment. It can be very difficult. Yeah, sometimes interacting with someone else can be quite stimulating. Um, yeah, it it can be, and I and I work with another glassblower a couple of times, and and the, and there are glassblowers I do work with. But generally, that's that's a private. It's that's quite private. I don't, you know, that's that's probably us being very silly. Hmm. Um. So in my general practice, I don't. I tend to work on my own, and and tend to tend to. I don't collaborate with people with designs very much. Yeah. You know? They're sort of what I'm trying to make. Mm. I'd have to think about that question a little bit, a little bit more about how I feel about that completely. Because yeah. I do, I collaborate with a glass blower called Helen Millard now, who's down mm. in Abbotsbury, who does glass engraving. Mm. But we generally just just take the mick out of each other for half a day, you know, don't get much done. Yes. Um, and you, when you collaborate with someone, you you've got you you. You can take you can take the worst of what you do, what you both do, as well as the best of what you both do, and it can take quite a lot of time before you before you make something that that actually is is a you know two heads are better than one. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. Uh, you know, it takes a bit of time, and glass playing is an expensive thing to do, so you can lose quite a lot of money before you come up with something that is, you know, is is a feasible thing to do. Yeah. And the other thing about it is that, you know, it's like if you collaborated with someone doing painting now, you come up with a, with a different painting. Yeah, definitely. And so then what happens is you need a different market for it. That's a good point. So people are quite nervous, you know, so you've built, you've built up your clientele. Yeah. Suddenly you go, what about this? And they go, well, I, don't, I don't like that. Yeah, yeah. And the person you've collaborated with, their clientele don't like it either. Yeah. And then you've got an awful lot of explanation to do to explain to both your clientels that actually this is a good thing, and it, it you know, and, and a few people will like it, but again, you, again, you're get, you're lessening your potential customer base because you've you've spent the su su a successful craftsman or artist have built up a customer base who who buy who buy into what they do. Yeah, they they like their thought processes. Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah. 
collaborations can be quite dangerous. You know, you can end up you can end up wasting an awful lot of time and and, and just going, Jesus, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> what about sort of being part of because there's a quite large and active sort of glass blowing community, isn't there? What about yeah. being part of that community? Is that something that you enjoy or? I'm not part of it really. Yeah. Okay. I, um, I'm not part of it anymore. I used to love the glass community because we, when we were all setting out, we all, there was lots of unwritten rules. They would all look out for each other. If someone found a, 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 a new supply or something, they'd all tell each other. Mm. There was an awful lot of support and an awful lot of um, help. Yeah. Um, and at some point, some point along the line, that sort of disappeared. Maybe in the internet, maybe whatever, whatever happened. Yeah. And and now it's a lot more fractured. So so, I don't tend to get involved with the glass community that much. And also, you know, it's like if I have any time off, I don't really go and search out other glass blowers because that's work. Yes. No, I understand that. Um, there are a few that I, I you know. I, I know lots of glass players and a few are very close friends and I might go and search that out, but we certainly wouldn't talk about glass. <laughs> um, you know, th- does that make sense? So it does. Yes. Um, getting involved with the community is sort of like, I'm, a, I think one of the dangers with, with, uh, I, d- I d- well, like you're doing a podcast while you're painting. So it's a different thing. One of the dangers with, with um, craftsmen and artists is getting, completely immersed in their craft and art and it becoming the be all and end all of their world. Yeah. Um, can be quite dangerous because that's got to be a, over the years, it's got to narrow, you know, mm. um, I, I never get any inspiration from looking at anyone else's glass because that would seem wrong to me. That's true. This is the inspiration has got to come from something external, doesn't it? So if you become yeah. too inwardly focused on the scene if you like yeah and and you see that sometimes i think particularly also to be honest with the visual arts it becomes very self-referential and pretentious and actually quite annoying i think so and also with the world we now live in with the internet yeah is if you start looking at you know if i start looking at glass on instagram i i and i enter a major depression because it's also bloody amazing (laughs) you know and I just go, God, why can't I make that? Why can't I do that? Why can't I sell it for that amount of money? And of course, it's all a bit false. Mm. Um, because no one no one tells the truth about these things. No one says, oh, I spent a week making that, you know. Yes, that's um, true. I, I tend, to, tend to not get involved with those things. So I think, like you've just said, they, they tend to be very inward looking mm. and, um, and needy, I think, to some extent. I, so, yeah, it can be. There's certainly that trend of um, yes, it, it, it's very easy to get sucked into something. I, I think. So, so I, I try. I try not to get sucked into those things and try and keep my own counsel about how I'm thinking about things. So, you know, it's very rare for me to have these sort of conversations with someone outside a very close group of friends because I tend to think, you know, really, is this of interest to anyone? Just, just don't you buy the glass or not? <laughs> you know. I mean, there's, uh, a certain, there's a certain amount of truth to that. I mean, it's as interesting to me, I think, other people's thought processes and why they do what they do. And no, yeah. one, ha- no one has the same answer. That's the interesting thing. I mean, there are themes yeah. that crop up again and again and again, but um, it, it's always a slightly different viewpoint every time. So what are the themes that crop up again and again? Well, a lot of people talk about what you've touched upon about how the originality and 
coming up with something unique and emphasizing the flaws. They don't quite put it in the way you've put it, but that's certainly a, a theme yeah. of you. Uh, and then the sort of you're trying to capture something that's quite elusive. That's a sort of another common thing. I think if it was easy to capture it, mm. it, it, it would be less captivating, maybe. Yeah. I think you get. I think you get bored. I mean, if you if you sat down tomorrow and did the most perfect painting, well, that would rather ruin your. Well, what do you do next then? Exactly, that's my point. That's my point. I mean, I don't deliberately, you know, mess things up because I don't need to deliberately do that. I have enough, you know, personal ability to mess things up accidentally than deliberately. But you do wonder if you made, you know, if you made a bit of glass that was perfect, do you just put your tools down, walk over there, turn your furnace off, and go, "That's me done." Yeah. I, I yeah, that that's quite. It's not going to happen, by the way. But you well, know. no, and of course, it, it it's an impossible thing to achieve, isn't it? That that's part of the glory of it. You're hunting for something that can never actually happen. I, um, I don't, I don't know, because I mean, I mean, see, what amazes me about you know, so if you look at industrial design, or so you, so if you design things to be made by a machine or in a mold or whatever it is, you, you're you're aiming for making something perfect, aren't you? Oh, certainly something that replicated the same every time. Yeah, yeah. So, you, so you spend an awful lot of your time working at what perfect is mm. and, and then honing that perfection to as close as you can get it. And I always find, I find it very interesting if you go to car manufacture, which mm. I think you know, is, a, is a good one because there's so many billions of pounds spent on producing cars that appeal to people. Mm. And very often when you look at new cars that come out, you think, God, no one will buy that. And gradually you get sort of, almost get wheedled into going, that's really quite attractive. Yeah. But, but then the trend goes. I can remember, I mean, I'd, I'm not sure how old you are, but can you remember the, when the Ford Sierra first came out? And it was, I mean, I'm not it, that tuned into cars, to be honest. No, but it was radically different. I remember going, no one will buy that. And, and after a while you go, oh, I quite like that. <laughs> you know? I think things are like that very interesting because as, as well as... I've talked about, and you've, you've talked about, our own personal taste change. Mm. There is a general taste that changes. That's true. You know, so th there's, a, there's this big shift of things that people like or don't like, um, along with this smaller shift of what we all make. Yeah. And I sometimes think that's quite interesting to... to, to that we walk these shifting sands of of what's attractive or acceptable, and then when, yeah, go on, sorry. And then suddenly things that were attractive and cutting edge suddenly look naff and old fashioned. Yeah, and it happens almost like yeah overnight, and it and it it's quite disturbing, mm. you know, because when you go, I mean, how could we ever think flares would would drop out of fashion, you know, <laughs> you know, and things I was reading that. They were, oh, come with some silly article I was reading about the mankle. So, so they're now saying more men are not wearing socks. Mm. You know, and I'm reading this going now. They're selling this as being a fashion or a trend or or something like that. And you're going, how long will it last? Because these things don't last as long anymore. That they're, they're, no, they're no, that's true. Transient. So yeah, and, co and colours are another amazing scenario that people get. You know, like. The world revolves around, you know, having your, having your house repainted or having your, you know, and, and the colours change and, and, and shift 
So I, I find all that very interesting, being a maker within that. I mean, where do you align yourself? Do you just make what you want to make or do you try and stay ahead of the game or how do you deal with it? It's quite, I think it's quite difficult, if not impossible, to stay with it on any kind of conscious level because... You can, but you could look up what the colours what the, what the colours will be next year, can't you? You, you can yeah. look up and go, that'll be the colour next year, that'll be the accent colour, that'll be your base colour. And you go, someone's going to sell that. Someone's, someone's actively going to have to invest a lot of money in making that right. Yeah. But, and, but then when you come to apply it in your own practice, you think, do I actually <laughs> Just... want to do that? You do, and then you do it, and it doesn't work anyway. Cause yeah, because you're not actually that interested, and you're not actually responding to it. Yeah, it wasn't your colour anyway. Yeah. yeah. I know. It's, it's just, I do find those things very perturbing. Mm. You know, when, you, when you look at you going, is this really, is my destiny really in my hands, or am I just sort of, just sort of, you know, surfing this, this sort of wave of, 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 of just luck? You know, I don't know. I think it's an impossible question to answer, really. I thought you were going to for a second there. <laughs> well, I mean, unless you've got a massive marketing department and people analysing swathes of data. Um, you, can't, I, you can't, no. No, but even then, you can get it horribly wrong in that you think you've identified the trend and you invest yeah. everything in it, and then people go, actually, no, we're going to do something else. So who, who changes the trend? Is it, is it just these, I hate the word creatives, is it, is it just these radical people who, who just buck it, who just, and, and some, because I do, I do believe there's still somewhere out there is, is actually these things that are against this conglomerate sort of bureaucracy, you know. I think there are a few people who do things and, and, and you just go, wow, that's amazing, That that's a radical shift of our thought process. You know, if you look back at the old yeah. paper, you can see it happening. I think I think there's an element of that. I think it's a sort of there are other shifts like other cultures can become popular within your own culture. Yeah, that's a good point. Yes. Like you're right. You've seen I mean I've seen how over the past couple of years Korean culture has become more popular in the West than it used to be. Yeah. Whereas yeah. it used to be Japan, Japanese culture before that. And that's slightly given way. Um, yes, and, you're right. Yeah, maybe it's cultural. Yeah, and so there are all kinds of influences like that, mm. which to do with filmmakers and all of these kind of things that are quite difficult to predict and pin down. Um, yeah, they are, aren't they? You so, but they still try and pin them down and predict them. Yep. And if yeah. you can get it right, you can be very successful. But of course, um, you're just a painter, and I'm just a glass blower. And we obviously haven't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think all we can do is produce the work that we respond to, and I think yeah, I think just so. hope someone else responds to it as well. And I think that authenticity and that enthusiasm does somehow make its way across in a way that's quite difficult. Yeah, to but find. does it get back to the V&A glass department where where you know you walk in and and and. It's just something is so amazing. It transcends mm. the the trend almost. Well, it just changes it. It it is it is, and and I think the Vienna Glass Department's quite a good example of this because I, I within art, I think there are fundamentally two audiences. I mean, they overlap a lot, but there yeah. is the general public, and then there is the art world. <laughs> yes, 
and the art world revo- rewards a different type of work and a different approach to work to the general public. Yeah. And if you're really successful, you have something that hits both. Yeah. But but I think your example of the V&A art department you've got in the sort of main bit, the main glass bit, you've got the bit that appe- has appealed to the general public over centuries. And then you've got the bit that appealed to the art world just outside. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they sometimes overlap, but yeah. Don't. I mean, the art the art critic's been panned over, over many years, hasn't it? And, and quite yeah. rightly so, I tend to think, right? Because I I tend to think that that what the general public think mm. is more valid. Yeah. Because I I quite like the fact they don't have any any hidden agenda very often I, I think the art world has hidden agendas way way too much that's true you know? general public they're just reacting to what they like or not you know? yeah i like it how much is it oh yeah too too much <laughs> <laughs> you know it's, it's but that's a very valid and and and, and if, if you want to use our words passionate answer yeah you know i mean very often you know they someone will go cool i really like that and you go well buy it and they go, how much is it? And then you can have a conversation about, but how much would you would you have to buy it for? If I said it was a pound, mm. well, I'd have it. Yeah, right. tenner. Yeah. yeah, I'd have it. You know, the, everything has a price. Yes, and I, 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 and I quite like that. I think that's yeah. I, I quite like that as a constraint on art and craft. Probably more on craft than art, maybe. You know, if if that's all, well, that's another deep discussion, isn't it? But, well, I think it depends on which level of the market you're operating on. To be honest, the level I'm at, I think it's just very much the same dynamic, really. Yeah, um, I, but I, I like that. I think that dynamic should should be true. But unfortunately, if you get to the higher echelons, it, it's completely untrue. There's, there's no. all these different things happening in it. And it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Speculation and uh, yeah. brand and investment. So you yes. know, it's, it's like wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I, years and years ago, and this is years ago, probably about 15 years ago, I had to redo my mailing list cards you know, that people filled in the shop you know, this, mm. you know, for your email address. And, and, and so we wrote this thing saying a dead artist is a valued artist. If you want to know when, when Will dies, then put your name on the mailing list and you'll be one of the first to find out. And then you can go and grab as much of his glass as you can do, which will then might go up in price, mm. which I seem to think was a valid thing to say. <laughs> Quite funny. Well, unfortunately, it got around and I was dying at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> there, was a, there was a bit of a blip in sales for a while until people realised it was just me taking the mic. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think that's quite funny about things, you know. Yeah. It, don't don't buy it as an investment. Buy it because you like it. Well, exactly. It, it, it's, it's just mad. So that was the excellent Will Shakespeare. And thank you very much to him for talking to me today. Um I've put some links in the description of this podcast to um, Will's website and also to the teaching events, the hot and bothered events that he refers to. So check those out. Um, thank you very much for listening. Please like and subscribe on your various devices and apps. And I look forward to you listening again to the next episode of The Things That Drive Us.